Welcome back to Die Hard Minute, the podcast where movies by minutes hosts enhance, enhance, enhance the 1988 Christmas classic Die Hard, one lousy minute at a time. I'm one of your hosts, still hiding out in Nakatomi Plaza, Sean German, from the Groundhog Minute, coming soon. And I'm your other host, Dave Palace, and I'm from Five Minutes of Mystery, and I am I am definitely not built for these vents. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, what minutes we got now? We got, what is it, minute 77, yeah. is it? Yeah, we're here for minute 77. Well, I'll tell you. So we talked a yeah. little. No, go. I'm sorry. Yeah, go. Hey, go right. No, I'm excited. I was going to say, we, we we talked a little bit last minute about, uh, you know, does what does McLean know about plastic explosives and, and how he might know about C4? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he knows much. <laughs> um, or, or let's say maybe the the there's some artistic license taking in this minute. I don't know if what he does is enough to fire off this plastic explosive. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess it would make sense because a lot of times in movies and TV shows, when the character, the hero is doing something like blowing up something or picking a lock, they usually like leave out mm-hmm. details. Like I know burn notice. He like as a spy, he's supposed to know all this knowledge. So he knows how to craft. He's like MacGyver where it's like he could craft a bomb from this and he can craft this and that. But like they said, like, like when they, they actually would talk to like agents at, from the FBI and CIA for the show for info. And they said, like, yeah, like leave out these certain details so like no one can actually build the bomb. Perfectly. Oh, OK. Like it's just it's just going to be mute items because we left out a certain thing. So, <laughs> is it like that? It could be. It, yeah, it could be that they leave out some details so that okay. no uh, no ne'er do wells watching decide to uh, try to enact this plan. Mm. But so there's you know this plastic explosive is it's very stable and that's why it's used. It's got a very high threshold before it'll blow, so it's it's pretty safe to handle, which is why you need the dead caps, the detonator fuses, which. Basically, they're just smaller explosives that will produce a shock wave that then cause the main explosive to uh, to blow up. And there's 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 okay. generally most of these um, detonators fall into two categories. There's electric and non-electric. And we see wires coming out of the detonators that John is sticking into the C4, but they but these must be non-electric. Because those wires aren't plugged into anything. There's no detonating circuit that he completes. He doesn't put any current through those detonators to get them blow up. What about the monitors? Are any you think there's enough energy in the monitor to be plugged it? That's like it's like within the uh, the head, the uh, CRT monitors itself, like static electricity. Yeah, that's that's a stretch. Now there, yeah, there would be charge in the capacitors in the CRT. So even after it's turned off, or even after it's explode, you know, even after it's unplugged. There would mm-hmm. be charge, and, and if you've ever done any electric work, if you've ever opened up one of these monitors, the, the, there'd be warning labels and lots of things that would tell you, even if it's not plugged in, there's still the potential to electrocute you. But the way he he just lays the monitor on top of the seat that's got the C4, and then he wraps the, the monitor's power cord around to kind of keep everything together, mm-hmm. but they're not... The, the detonators of the wires are not near or not in contact with the capacitors in, in the monitor. So I don't think that's okay. enough to do it. I think what we're supposed to think from the way this is set up is that it's just the fall. Okay. The sh- or the landing at the end of the fall, which was really going to do it. Just the shock from 
the sudden crash at the bottom of the elevator shaft. I don't know if that's quite really going to do it. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, but it's exciting visually in terms of watching the movie. The, you know, we've seen this build up. We had the RV explosion that took two shots from the rocket launcher, but the music has been building us building up the Spencer music and the horns have been telling us that something big is coming and, you know, technically accurate or not, it comes, it, it happens uh, all over the, seems like the first few floors of this building are going to need a new coat of paint. <laughs> and a lot of screen doors. So, <laughs> So I was running through the commentary, and these few minutes that we've been given, all the commentary is about making this shot. Mm-hmm. And so, as not only was it talked, uh, did uh, John McTiernan talk about st- doing this? Special effects producer Richard Edmond uh, did a lot of talking, and so he talked about apparently a forced perspective shot on the that that shot with the elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't explain it in great detail, so I didn't really know exactly how the forced perspective shot worked, like. It didn't sound like it was um, – it could have been – I guess it was like a, a, maybe a painting that he was just looking at and then they, they made it look like that, um, that it, it goes down far. Yeah. But so – okay. So in this minute, we have the explosion of all explosions. So I'm just I'm just going to run through essentially the shorthand of a lot of, the, a lot of the technical stuff he talked about. So it all started with apparently once they realized in the writing they wanted to do this explosion, Joel Silver – pretty much went to Fox first and said, Hey, can we blow up like uh, the windows in the third floor? And Fox was like, no, this is a new building. And like, we spent a lot of money to get these buildings like hermetically sealed with their own, like, so, and like, so these windows are not just like windows are like super heavy windows and they're expensive. So it's like, we'll let you blow out like one or two windows in a tight shot maybe, but like, we're not gonna let you blow out the, the, the floor for obvious reasons. So what Richard Edmund uh, did was they got a lot of high-speed cameras and they did a lot of wide shots of of that floor that you could see, like as if you were behind the car barricades with the police. And they called mm. up uh, Slovenia, the uh, the they call it the, the, the the light bulb company, okay, yeah. Slovenia, and they said like and they said like they talked about like all these flash bulbs are going to need going to need a lot of flash bulbs and make it look like one big bright shot. Um, he said he – I think he might sound, – it sounded like he might have been working on the Indiana Jones movies. Um, he had a few of these they used with explosives. So they got that and they essentially did shots where they had essentially a, like a whole – the whole floor like filled with uh, flash bulbs and they would hit it up. And then what they did is they did a model of the building and they kind of imposed it over at the same time. And they did some bulb and some explosion shots. And they essentially – I think they said like the whole process, what they were doing is – so they had about 30 frames of actual movie and they said they had to do it enough. So like it was choppy, but it was enough for your brain to like, like as if w- with actual film, like enough frames for your brain to piece together a light explosion and this and windows and glass and got it. Like, so, you know, they said it was, it was a heck of a tricky, uh, a tricky shot to do. And so, yeah, they had like a model and they filled it with like, mortar explosives and flash bulbs as well and they blew it up so it's, yeah essentially it's like you're seeing part of the building with flash bulbs you're seeing a part of a model explode and it's essentially kind of recut and then a few and then yeah a few of those side cuts of like tight on a few windows exploding as well that like is supposed to encompass your brain to let to so you put the piece together of oh yeah this building is exploding 
So it sounded like it was a lot of uh, a lot of work, a lot of tech, and um, and then a lot of that. Uh, they had essentially an entire trough at the base of the building with uh, pyrotechnic smoke, and then they just like let that go loose, and that's how you have that. At the same time, you have all that smoke just filling the streets. Yeah, yeah, a lot of smoke. It does. It, watching it in real time as as like a normal person would watch the movie, it's very impressive. It looks really good. It looks like the whole ground floor, the third floor of, of this building has been blown out. Uh, when you slow it down, if you kind of creep through it frame by frame or minute by minute, uh, you see some of the details that you were talking about, that it's really, there's not that many of the windows that actually get blown out, but with with the good editing, with the flashes, and then with the huge plume of smoke that comes at the end uh, that we see outside the building. Um, just again, when you're watching it in real time, it's it's very impressive. It, it, it really is. And, it, and, and apparently like, then Joe Silver got so excited talking about how uh, he kind of like got this nickname in in the business for um, whammo. No, I think he said, uh, yeah, whammo moments and and the action and the action genre. And he said that uh, I don't know. Him and McTiernan had some weird talk about how, like I thought you said it was whammy, and he's like, no, <laughs> Rennie Harlan, he's Finnish. He he said whammy all the time. So he took my words whammo and said it was whammy. He wanted whammy moments. It's like they had this huge whole like producer inside director talk. It's just like, oh my god, you guys! But um, yeah, that's mostly like these these scenes where they talked about is that how to build that explosion. And uh, I, I was actually really curious, like that shot where you know we have uh, the stunt actor who's playing quote Vigo, who's getting another rocket from um, mm-hmm. when they blow him up. Like that that explosion looked pretty close too. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of good tight shots. So yeah, John McClane kills Vigo from Ghostbusters, and he doesn't even like know it. You know, he just he just blew them all up. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wonder. So at this point, like, so what's happened with with Huey Lewis and Candy Bar Man down in the lobby? Well, it looks like they're. I mean, they're protected. It looks like at least from two floors of concrete. But I mean, like, if you look if, if the shot here, third floor getting blown up. Mm-hmm. And and essentially, second and first floor are one big floor because it's like double stack because the lobby's huge. Right. Yeah. You got so, the high level. Like, so like, I wonder if yeah, from where they are, if like the entire like roof, like the top, maybe tiles or like maybe like the sides of the walls, like just started crumbling off just from the yeah. the shook. Like, and they were probably yeah, they were probably like, scared to that too. And then. <laughs> Yeah, because they didn't know this was coming. I mean, J- John McClane is pretty much shaken up, and and he did it. You know, he he knew, and he and he had dodge an explosion coming up the elevator shaft. So this explosion goes everywhere. Yeah, just well, everywhere. yeah, and so that's good. Like to to go back to John McClane's perspective. First, I want to back up. Uh, I, I, we we jump past it, but I want to know the like second, maybe a full second, maybe two of silence. That John's looking over the the perspective shot that you were talking about. He's watching the chair fall down and it falls out of view. We can't see it. It's kind of just disappeared in the darkness. And and like the music stops, everything stops. It's just silent for a moment. And then the big boom. And and John's yeah. he's continuing to he has his head over the ledge. He's watching what's happened. And <laughs> and it seems like he's got a little bit more than he bargained for. This boom is like coming to get him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. You know, it, it's funny. It's like it's like looking at the, yeah these moments here. 
is that everybody, when they saw Last Jedi, were very excited. And I won't be too spoiler here in case, but like there's a scene where there's a big explosive uh, looking moment. Do you know the scene I'm talking about yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And But there's that moment of silence. And it does. It catches you off guard where you're like, what do I do? Like, it's almost like you don't know what to do because your senses have just been going crazy for the last hour. And now there's a silent moment. And now you're like, you're like, you're like tightening up. And then you get that. Yeah. Then you get the reverberation of the explosion of the, of the, everything just coming apart. And yeah, this, just this, this, that, yeah, that shot of the elevator shaft had come up. Just, <laughs> I love how he yells it. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We've also got it. Like, I wouldn't want to use any elevators in this building after that. Like, yeah. the elevator shaft is obviously toast, but like at no point I ever use it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm nor- not normally a big fan of walking down thirty or, or thirty four flights of stairs, but yeah, I'm not trusting any of these elevators yeah. at this point. Um, McTiernan had a story, and apparently there was like a skeleton crew left in the building and they were going to what he called lunch. He said, we're having like dinner lunch. He said at eight 30 at night, mm-hmm. he says, and so we took the service elevator down and we got stuck. And I'm like, I, and I'm like, at first I'm like, Oh, what a funny thing. I'm like, Oh yeah. Also it's the eighties. No one has cell phones in an elevator <laughs> ship. So he said like him and a couple crew guys were actually stuck in this elevator for like three hours with the, with the call button on. Until somebody realized that like they weren't at like dinner or lunch <laughs> and then they got another elevator and they, what they had to do is they had to get another elevator up to them and they were able to actually walk across to another elevator apparently. Um, oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So yeah, McTiernan kind of like laughed at how like he, you know, you really don't think about elevator shafts too much until you're like, you're stuck in one for like three hours. Wow. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Did, uh, so is everyone else like, oh, we're just taking the day off or. Well, I mean, three hours is a long time to be missing your director yeah. on a movie set. I'd yeah, imagine. I was very curious if they broke for the night and then maybe everyone was going to eat. And then like three hours passed and maybe, yeah, somebody just started realizing like, hey, like, you know, maybe, a, yeah, somebody's trying to get a hold of McTiernan. And he's just like, wait, where's John? Like, they're all like, where's John? Because at this point, yeah, it's like 10, <laughs> 11 o'clock. So maybe had someone had to like yeah. message him about something. And they're like, I can't get a hold of him. And next to that, like, let's see if he's in the building. And then they hear like the, the elevator call button. <laughs> like, oh, my God. That's funny. That's a good one. Yeah, I had a. I used to work in a building with an unreliable elevator. I had a, a coworker who was caught in for, I think it was about a half hour. But uh, like you said, it, you know, this was modern day. He had a cell phone. I mean, it took some time to to get the thing moving and get him out. But at least he was in contact with civilization. You know, was he wasn't just lost. But, uh, so. So yeah, so Franco runs in, anyhow. He goes, they use the artillery on us, and I'm always curious. Right. In his mind, I'm guessing he thought they had an they had a tank that fired into the into the building, which I would would have been super cool to see. But uh, I'm guessing that's what he says, like what he's thinking. They just they must have just done. He's like, how do we not see that? The police have a tank. They have artillery. How do they do that? But Hans, like Hans, just knows. I love it. Like he is obviously immediately shocked by the explosion, but he immediately knows that John is now. Not only does he have the detonators, he's like going to use them. Right, on them. like now stuff is serious. There's, there's trouble in paradise. There's, you know, there's a little yeah. rift in that in that relationship. I, I like if that. Had, yeah. I just want to point. He out had the line where he just goes, "It's him." Yeah, and, and he's an idiot. He like he's taking his anger out on Franco, but like Franco's not an idiot. Franco really just got like shook. Like he's like, well, "What was that?" And he's like, "You idiot!" Like. 
And Frank was like, I didn't know the detonator thing, man. That I didn't that's not my I was hostage coverage. Yeah. Don't come at <laughs> the me. The like whole that. building's shaking. Like that's not an ordinary yeah. everyday thing. Like, yeah. Oh, my, my mistake. Oh, sorry. Sorry, boss. I didn't think yeah. that uh <laughs> um yeah. and so yeah, and honestly, it's it's kind of a moment of you know, Hans is not exactly clueless. But like I said, we talked about his plan and his plan. He knew he had the rockets that he knew about the armored car. So you want to blow it up. We're going to show them our fury. And then to have, this is almost like the biggest egg on his face that his his moment of fury just got immediately like just sucked away by losing two of his guys and his heavy equipment to uh, to John and the uh, and that's, that could also help the explosion. The fact that rockets blew up on that floor, probably from just being vaporized by the C4. Yeah, because we, as we talked about yesterday, that all these little disruptions, Hans is just going with the flow. Like, okay, everything's according to plan. You know, only the you know the plan's accelerated. That that McLean is there. There's a the fly in the ointment. The uh, the monkey in the wrench. He's got the cops there a little bit sooner than they had planned, but everything's still in the plan. At this point, I don't think you know this isn't in the plan. I don't think that you know that there's, there's a contingency that Han has planned for that covers someone who's got your plastic explosives and the detonator and he's using them. Yeah. They're, we're off book here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you know what something I just noticed now? When, when, so when, when Franco comes in and talks about the artillery, um, so we're in mm-hmm. Holly's office. I know that. But I like all, you see on the left side next to her mirror, um, you know, she has a Santa Claus or something. But I like on the left, she has a King Tut gold statue like she has some kind of like egyptian gold statue yeah i kind of like that i think i think it's a that's like holly kind of that's a little little piece of showing that like she knows she has she's got she's in charge she has some power you know she's got an office um she like she likes the the that that gold statue kind of being like hey i got i got i'm i'm up on the high management here of, of Nakatomi. Yeah, I wonder. Well, kind of, it, it does stand out just because of the the Asian influence in the rest of the decor, yeah. dec- uh, decorations, uh, decor in, in these offices and certainly that main area where the lobby, uh, where all the uh, hostages have been brought together. And yeah, and this kind of throws in just a little bit of uh, an African trinket or Egyptian, something a little different. Um yeah, Holly does it her own way. Yeah, I I think she bought it, but I want to get ahead of it. I think she bought it. I don't think Ellis bought it, because like if Ellis bought it, she would hide that. Right. <laughs> she yeah. wouldn't display it. Like Ellis would want it to be displayed, but no, I think she bought that. She was, you know, she went to like maybe some like Los mm-hmm. Angeles museum that was like about um, about Cleopatra or about yeah. uh, King Tut, and she saw that bust, and she's like, I want that bust like that. That's me. That's me. I'm in control. Yeah. When when did so, uh um when did like yeah. the King Tut exhibit come out and was when was that like touring the nation? So maybe that because didn't that like didn't that go on tour? Like that was one of those things that would go to major cities and major museums. So maybe King Tut stopped by L.A. I wouldn't be surprised because yeah. I I think I think you didn't even you passed right over it. Um, I'll mention you know it almost goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. This was not a gift from John. No. No. I mean, John, not that John doesn't give gifts, but if if there was like a Statue of Liberty or like a, a little statue of the Chrysler building, like John would have given something of New York kind of thing. 
that to remind her of, yeah. of the city and remind her of him. I don't see like he's not giving her some art. He doesn't stuff. respect her job he, in the beginning of this movie. He doesn't respect her job. Her her business as a wife to mm-hmm. him is more important than her job. So giving her a power of like a symbol power of being like, oh, you're in charge in this building, like you you are like the the, the top dog, like uh, you know, like only under the actual like I mean, like the thing is, she probably runs a lot of that company, but I think Joe Dakagi, even though he's an he is an American as well, like I feel because I, I remember what they were talking about earlier in the movie, and that's such an interesting thing is that like he was born in Japan, but he's very Americanized. And, and so it's just like, I wonder if like he would, he would never probably get a position in Japan. Mm-hmm. Like this is as high as he can go here. Like the Jap- Japanese corporation trusts him to run the building here. And then, and probably like, and I said, when he says, Oh, she was born for the business. He probably regulates so much stuff to her. He probably just like shows up to some board meetings and stuff, but like, she's the woman who gets, the office moving. So I think that's right. That is a gift for herself. Yeah. That, that Egyptian. Okay. I'll, I'll go along with that. I think, I think the more we watch this film man by minute, I think that's like the behind the scenes, like lore. That's, that's the story about that. Well, I, I, I think someone just turned on the air conditioning. Wow, I do hear that. That's what I think. So I think it's time for us to scurry our way out of this vent before we get caught. All right. All right. Give them the byline. All right, folks. Well, this is uh, Sean German with my buddy Dave Palace. You can find us. Uh, we'll be starting soon the Groundhog Minute, the Groundhog Day podcast. You can find that at groundhogminute.com. You can also hear more of Dave at Five Minutes of Mystery. And you can hear more of me at Five Minutes of Mine. And this has been Die Hard Minute. You can find us on Twitter at Die Hard Minute. On Facebook at Die Hard Minute with a podcast listener's limo and on the web at dieHardMinute.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Movies by Minutes podcasts, visit MoviesByMinutes.com for more information. And if we don't get caught and tossed out by security or torn (laughs) it to shreds by all the nails that are sticking through (laughs) into these ducks... Um, if we survive, we'll be back for the next minute of Die Hard Minute. Die Hard Minute. Tell me you got that. I got it. I got it. Hit your heart on Channel 5.